Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers, and this is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies, even in a COVID lockdown. So be on the lookout for Sound of Metal, a knockout drama starring our guest Riz Ahmed in one of the year's best performances. He plays a rock drummer whose world falls apart when he loses his hearing. You can imagine, right? Uh, born in London to British Pakistani parents, Riz is also an activist for representation and diversity in his work. As rapper Riz MC, he won a Grammy for the Hamilton mixtape song, Immigrants, We Get the Job Done. I love that song. Anyway, whether he's starring in HBO's The Night Of, which made him the first Muslim to win a lead acting Emmy ever, that's history, or he's just being sexy and playful with Lena Dunham on Girls, Riz gets the job done like the trailblazer he is. So welcome, Riz. You are one hell of a busy guy. What is this pandemic doing to you? It's been a strange time, hasn't it, for a lot of us. I think it kind of forces you to reassess what really matters. You know, um, I feel like a lot of our normal routines and normal activities that we almost define ourselves through have been taken away from us. So you have to kind of reconnect to... Um, who you are outside of all that, in a way, that makes sense. Scary and business. So, who are you? Did you decide who you are? Um, I haven't decided, but I guess I've uh, I've kind of feel like I've I've had a bit more clarity on what really motivates me and what matters to me, and and actually out of that came a lot of work and a lot of kind of creativity for me personally, with um, you know, some music and an album. And, uh, and being able to share this work, um, Sound of Metal, and also Mogul Mowgli, which was released in the UK. It's not out in the US yet. So it's kind of a big time of sh sharing. Um, hopefully next year, we're just waiting on theatres to, to reopen properly. Are you sort of champing at the bit? Or do you feel that, you know, you have to get out there again? You know, I was feeling like that a lot at the start. I was kind of going crazy climbing the walls. Like you said, you know, I like to stay very busy for better and for worse. And it means that I can have trouble sitting still, but actually the pandemic kind of forced me to learn how to sit still a bit more. And like I said, in that stillness, you kind of have a bit more clarity. You're not just doing things just to do them. You go, well, actually what's the stuff I really want to do. And in a way it's a similar journey to the one that my character in sound of metal goes on because he's a very restless guy, Ruben stone. He's a drummer. He's always on the go. And, um, you know, he also faces a health crisis, different to the coronavirus, but he faces mm -hmm. a health crisis that forces him to be stopped in his tracks and to sit still and reassess who he really is and what really matters to him. Yeah, you say that Ruben in Sound of Metal is facing some kind of a crisis. He is because he's a metal drummer. And then suddenly the hearing starts to go. I mean, it's a movie that is very visceral in that sense that not only is your character Ruben losing his hearing, but so are we, you know? But the sound design of the movie is extraordinary in terms of us yeah. experiencing it with you. Yeah, it's a really almost, I think probably a unique um, process they went through. They started the sound design two years before they started the movie. And it was really a labor of love for all of us, all the departments involved in this, but and sound, they just use such innovative techniques. So like you said, it's a kind of almost a first person movie in the sense that it places you very much inside Ruben's mind and his, his perspective. So when he's losing his hearing, you as the viewer and the movie also kind of 
has a distorted audio, you know, audio landscape. For this movie, after each scene, Nicola would put this kind of strange object against my chest, which turned out to be a multi-directional crazy microphone from the future. And he'd put it against my chest and he'd say, swallow and now breathe. Now hold your breath so I can hear your heartbeat. Now lick your lips, now blink. And Whoa. the entire kind of soundscape of the movie is made up from these kind of bodily internal um, soundscapes. So you feel like you are inside Ruben's body as you're watching the film. But going into it, you're playing a metal drummer who's losing his hearing. What do you know about any of that? Did you drum? Like anything, no, you have to do research, you have to learn. And <clears throat> excuse me, that's one of the things I love about this job is you get to learn these new skills and live these different lives. But no, I, I didn't know how to play the drums. I didn't know American Sign Language. And so part of the, the challenge of this role was also part of what excited me about it was that I would have to spend seven and a half months learning the drums and learning American Sign Language every day. I was lucky to have amazing teachers. Jeremy Stone, my ASL instructor, um, who's a kind of key figure in the deaf community in New York, you know, we became very close. I actually named my character after him. I named him Ruben Stone after Jeremy Stone. Oh. And um, my drummer, Guy Le drum teacher, Guy Licata, um, kind of drummer, drum teacher slash therapist, you know, locked, up, locked two guys away in a kind of sweaty room in, in, in Bushwick for four hours and <laughs> smashing the drums. It's going to get very uh, uh, therapeutic and, and weird. As scary as it was, it was it was very very enriching, and it and it kind of changed me in in weird ways that I hadn't really expected. In what way? Jeremy Stone was saying to me, you know, my science instructor, that there's this trope in the deaf community that hearing people are emotionally repressed. Mm. The reason for that is because we hide behind words, and I wasn't sure exactly what he meant until <clears throat> I myself started to become more fluent in ASL and realized that when I was speaking about emotional topics in ASL, I was getting much more physically emotional and moved mm -hmm. than I would be just, you know, churning out words. And he explained to me is because you're inhabiting what you're saying physically and viscerally in a different way with ASL. And so in a way, Jeremy and the deaf community kind of taught me the true meaning of communication, you know, once those words were taken away. So it kind of, um, I don't know, it shifted something in me personally. And I had no idea <clears throat> that within the deaf community too, there's a sense that they haven't lost anything, that they've gained something by this. And it, they have very strong feelings about it. Yeah, I mean, deafness isn't a disability, it's a culture for many people. And um, it's a way of being. And this is something that Ruben realizes as he kind of goes on this journey in the movie. And hopefully something the audiences will also realize, you know, Ruben starts off thinking of it as a loss and a lack. And then he realizes that actually deafness is an invitation into a new culture, to new friendships and connections, to a new way of being. Actually, it allows him to connect more to himself and others than perhaps he ever has before. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's it's something that I think, sadly, we are so unaware of in the hearing community is is the is the is deaf pride and deaf culture and the richness of this culture. And also just the incredible tragedy it is for us to kind of overlook these potential friendships and, you know, all this amazing talent in this community. 
I hope that the film is a bit of a, a glimpse into that community and it, it opens people's eyes into the richness of that culture. And my biggest hope, like you said, is, you know, the film is closed captioned. Mm-hmm. So my biggest hope is that people are watching this movie side by side, you know, people from the deaf and the hearing community and having this same experience together. This has always been a part of you as an actor and probably too in your music as well. Um, you represent, there is, there's even such a thing I saw recently about the Riz test, you know, for, <laughs> were you, uh, did you play a major part in that? No, I mean, that was something that um, a few academics in the UK um, taking inspiration from the Bechdel test, which is used to assess um, you know, the representation of women in film, the Bechdel test is something like, right. Are there any scenes in this film where two women are talking to each other about something other than a man, mm-hmm. something as simple as that. You'll be surprised how many films fail this mm-hmm. test. Um, and so they took inspiration from that and came up with the Riz test, which is named after me, I guess, uh, you know, because I gave a speech in British Parliament about representation, not just of Muslims, but in general, about mm-hmm. the importance of telling inclusive stories when we're at this kind of moment globally of of such, um, you know, we're at such a crossroads. Every country in the world seems to be asking, who are we? Who belongs here? And who doesn't? How inclusive are we? And so I think at a time like that, it's really important to, for stories to step up and play a role of, of, of saying, well, of telling stories where there is no us and them, but there's just us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Expand people's idea of who us is. Anyway, so I gave this speech in parliament and, and so they took inspiration from that. And the Riz test is a test to see how Muslims are represented in film. Um, as like a four point test, but I had nothing to do with setting it up. I think they just kind of took inspiration from the Bechdel test and, and that speech. Um, but look, you know, I think representation is um, is something that we all kind of expect from our politics, from our culture. We all want to be seen and heard and valued. Definitely. And know that our stories matter. And I think it's the highest goal of art um, to, to, to allow us to reimagine, you know, um, uh, these categories of us and them. You know, I don't think it's just a social political goal, you know, an activist goal. I think it's an artistic goal to force us to step outside of ourselves and into the other. And it's a it's a laudable goal. But at the same time as well, it could be a burden sometimes. I mean, when you won that Emmy, it was there was a lot said in terms of representation. You were the first South Asian male and Muslim to win a leading actor Emmy. So what does that do? What does what pressure does that put on you? It's like I said, every challenge is also a gift if you look at it differently. Like mm-hmm. for Ruben, you know, the challenge of losing his hearing becomes the gift of kind of realizing who he is outside of, you know, um, all these labels, drama or boyfriend, he connects to himself. Mm-hmm. I think that for me it, and for for any kind of artists or people in the public eye from marginalized communities, it can be a real burden to know that there's only one or two or three of you out there. And so your work may carry a special resonance for, you know, it may carry a certain weight 
in representing all community. Um, I think that the sooner you can kind of like shed that burden, the better as an artist. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason for that is I think it can be really paralyzing to second guess what people expect from you. I think you have to follow your own creative curiosity as an artist. So whilst it is motivating and, and, and a real kind of privilege to know that your work may carry a special resonance um, in society at large, in stretching people's preconceptions and also within that specific community, while that's a real privilege, I think it's that can serve as a kind of motivational jet fuel, but mm. it's not a good GPS. I think <laughs> well, your, yeah. your GPS has to be what you want to do as an artist and your jet fuel is knowing that there's people out there who feel like this work is, is needed, that it, that it, that it feeds something very, um, a, a kind of need in our culture to, to kind of um, stretch people's hearts and minds. And yet you have those very strong feelings and passionate feelings about it. Your album, The Long Goodbye, is basically about your breakup with, you know, Great Britain, right? It's saying, I don't, we don't get along anymore because I feel some tension, some xenophobia coming from you. And yeah. you can express both that anger and also past anger into something that can be positive about what you learn. And you've got both of those things going for you, right? You have the responsibility to you and then you have responsibility to express your feelings through your work. Yeah, I guess, you know, the thing is with, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the time I'll make work from a really personal place, but my personal experience is tied up with politics. You know, most people's are. You just might not spot it, right? Um, my, if you're born into a certain body in a certain time in a certain place, then your experiences might be tied up with what's going on in the news headlines or what, you know, presidents or presidential candidates are saying or, you know. Um, so for me, The Long Goodbye was just a very personal, very emotional album, really, of saying, I feel like my country is breaking up with me. And it's interesting because I think that that's an experience a lot of people can relate to right now, whether you're in India or the United States or Hungary or, you know, whatever country you're in, it seems that a lot of people can relate to this sense of suddenly, hang on a minute, this isn't, this isn't the person I married. This country, I'm waking up one morning and it's like you've, you've changed. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe you don't want me here. You're kind of asking me to leave after all we've been through together. Um, yeah. and, it's, and it's an album about heartbreak because it's only heartbreaking if you really care about this partner, if you care about this other half. And, and so certainly, you know, I am British. And, and so the, the, the feeling of suddenly realizing whether you're welcome here or you belong or you belong in a certain place or whether there's a future for you in a country that you call home is a heartbreaking one. So I wrote this album from a very personal and emotional place, but it's inevitable that that's tied up in, in what some people might deem to be political. You grew up in London, uh, parents uh, from Pakistan. What were you first experiencing as a kid about the world you lived in, how you were part of it and how you were separate from it? You know, you don't question your place in a society until someone questions it for you. Yeah. And so 
I think, um, you know, I, I was very happily just kind of living my life. And I've always, you know, been that way. I think you just realize, and, you know, whether you're from a minority or you're a woman or, you know, from the LGBT community, um, you know, there might just be moments in your life where you realize like, ah, some people have a problem with me just for existing. And I think that, you know, there's a heartbreak in that, but there's also some, a resolve that can form, you know, um, at your core from that experience. And for me, I think it just, there was a resolve that formed in me to just, to go into those spaces where people might feel I didn't belong, you know, whether that was going to Oxford University or whether I was start, you know, working in the film industry, particularly in the UK, which is, you know, has its, has its very particular challenges as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of just took it upon myself to kind of want to, knock on those doors and if I wasn't let in to try and kick them down. And, and, and so it's kind of been a, like I said, a kind of jet fuel for me, a kind of motivation for me, again, more from a personal place rather than from a kind of political. Well, yeah. How do your parents and your family uh, react to what you do and your success? Same as anyone else's would, same as anyone else's was, you know, like, um, you know, it's it's interesting. I understand that there's kind of traditionally this kind of idea of like um, immigrant parents kind of wanting the kids to do, have a stable income. I think that's really sensible, you know, for many yeah. reasons. I think yeah. that's also something that many, many parents want for their kids. They just want a kind of stable life for them. My parents are super supportive, super loving, and um, yeah, have always kind of like backed me, you know, uh, quietly anxious as any parent would be when their kid says, I want to do something that is like inherently unstable and a bit of a moonshot mm-hmm. um, of, of a career choice. Um, but yeah. And we worry, you know, I'm sure you worry about your parents with this that we're living in now, not just the politics of the life, but uh, the protest of it, the pandemic and what it does to us. I hear that you lost two relatives recently of COVID. And so we all live with this. It's around us so much. And how do we stay ourselves and how do we then do something creatively as much as you yeah. do? Yeah, I mean, it's a challenging time. And I think we need to think a little bit about, I think we need to reassess what kind of, what what a worthwhile use of time is. You know, I think we kind of derive a lot of our self-worth from this idea of being of, of productivity. And, and and actually, I think that what this pandemic and, th- and this year of protest and this year of upheaval has really shown us is that a lot of the stuff we thought mattered really doesn't. A lot of the stuff, the fundamentals are our, our well-being, which is interconnected, mm-hmm. you know, our family, our health and and these are actually the things that we seem to value the least in our society. You know, our connection seems to have been kind of supplanted by social media, our healthcare. I mean, it's not even open that can of worms, you know, in terms of what's happening, particularly in the States for so long. Um, it seems that I think this pandemic has kind of laid bare a lot of the, the cracks in our society, you know, racial injustice or, um, or really just kind of exposing the lie of individualism. You know, individual individualism isn't going to solve our problems. We're going to face our biggest challenges and overcome them together as a community, as a global community. As and a I society. think there's a hunger for that now. 
You know, yeah. I don't know how the world's going to change when we can get back together in some fundamental way, but we can. I know my time is up now. And I, I wanted to ask you about uh, to express something about what you're feeling now through your music, because it's so essential to you. Can you give me just a little bit of that in what you did when you were Riz MC and now Riz Ahmed and whatever, because to express yourself musically is a whole different way of communicating to people. I actually recorded a track that maybe I'll kind of direct people to, to checking out online. It's called I Miss You. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I Miss You is really about exactly well, a lot of what we've been talking about today, which is in the context of all this upheaval, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to reassess who yeah. we are? And I won't perform too much of it, but the final lines of it are, um, you know, the, the old world's dead now, you know, and the future is this. So I won't miss the past long as this is a chance we don't miss. And I really think that this is a chance for us to reassess and reevaluate who we are and how we move forwards together. And, and I hope we come out of this the other side. Um, yeah, a little bit more connected and, um, yeah, and finding a way forwards. But yeah, um, but yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's called I Miss You and it's, it's on my YouTube and Instagram and stuff. And it's a, it's a poem that I wrote in the wake of my uncle and my aunt's death from COVID. And me just asking these questions of how can we make sure these deaths are not in vain? Um, how can we use this suffering as a spur for us to kind of change? Um, to it sounds like exactly the thought that we need to have going in our heads through this. So Riz, thank you so much for your time. You. Really Great luck with the movie, which I think is exceptional. I think that people seeing this are going to see a world. I don't want to use the word learn all the time because it's not, it's not a lesson, but it's an experience that we can feel. And it's that feeling that counts so much. And the, that feeling is what you do as a actor, as an activist, as a rapper. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Pete.